Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Hey, good morning, y'all. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first Sunday with SVCC, we would love to hear from you. Please visit us online, fill out the online communication card, and we will reach out to you, get to know you a little bit, and answer any questions that you might have. Now, you may have heard the news that this week, members of our staff tested positive for COVID-19 and that there are still some who are waiting for results. And because of that, we wanted to make sure to safely be able to provide a live stream Sunday morning service for you right now. And so what we did is that we just packaged it very differently. We did this remotely. So the worship from today is going to be from a service back in September. The message is going to be provided from Pastor Seth, who recorded this this week from his home. And again, this is all being done just to protect those who volunteer to serve to provide these live streams. We didn't want anyone getting together and we want to protect our community and be a good neighbor in Christ. And so awesome that we can still do this and make sure that the scriptures can be heard. We thank you for your prayers and your encouragement that people have already given as they've reached out throughout the week. Uh, we're just continuing to lean into God and trust in what he has for us as a team. Now, also, as addition to that, we have our campus completely closed through February 8th. Again, just a measure we're taking to make sure that we do our part. If you still want to drop off your tithe, you can do so at the church office at the Safe Secure Box, and that'll be available for you. But otherwise, the campus will be physically closed. Now, our last point for today before we get into the rest of the service is if you are interested in having some fill-ins to do for today's message that Pastor Seth delivers, we do have those available. Our Online hosts can type the link into the chats if you want to engage with them there, or you can just check the description of today's live stream and that's available for you too. We love you guys so much. Thank you for hanging out with us and we pray that the Lord just draws you closer to him and that you grow in your relationship with God in a way that you've never grown with him before. We love y'all. Thank you. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to South Valley. We're going to come into the Lord's presence this morning and give him some praise. So wherever you are, we want you to come to your feet. Give God some praise. Raise your voices up. It's all right to give him praise in your house. Come on. I count on one thing. The same God who never fails. You're not fail me now. You won't fail me. Ah, in the lowest valley, yes, I 
circumstances. We're going to share a new song with you this morning. And if you were with us last Sunday on the front lawn, uh, you heard this song. And we're going to put this into our rotation just because it speaks to the truths of the foundation of what we need to be able to do. We need to choose to worship God in all circumstances because he does not change. And when we worship him and we praise him, we know that our perspective can change and we do not dwell on the things that can bring us down, but we dwell on the goodness of who God is. So we're going to share this song. And if you know it, if you've heard it, sing along with us. I choose to worship, I choose to bow All this pain in the offering I lay it down Here in the conflict when doubts around All my soul is unraveling, I choose you now I will praise you through the fire, through the storm, and through the flood. There is nothing that could ever steal my soul. In the valley, you are worthy, you are good when life is not. You will always and forever be my soul. Of the 
some noise at home. You should be feeling the Holy Spirit dwelling among you. going to do a work today. So let us go before the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we give you praise. We know that in all circumstances you are worthy of praise. So if there is something that is distracting us this morning that is causing us to not keep our eyes on you, we pray that you would cast that out.
that you would help us to have our focus on you, hear your voice as we look into your word, deliver a powerful message to our hearts, Lord, drawing us to you and reminding us of who you are, reminding that we have a purpose, that we have an opportunity to feel your love in our lives, Lord. I pray for every heart. I pray for hearts that may not know you, that they would hear your voice and that you would draw them to you, Lord, in all circumstances. You would remind them and whisper to them that you love them and you created a way back to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. So we celebrate you today and we honor you and we thank you for an opportunity to sing and to give you praise. So we look forward to how you're gonna move this morning. All honor and glory go to you, our Heavenly Father. In your name we pray, amen. Hello, church family. I'm Jim Vigil, the chairman of the executive board here at South Valley. Two days ago, as we were in preparation to finalize the contract with Pastor David Harris, he informed us that regrettably, he was going to have to retract his agreement to come here. He made it very clear that it was not for a lack of love that he felt, nor was it for a lack of grace. But rather, as he was preparing to finalize his agreement to come here, he felt that the Lord was moving him in a different direction. I believe that God influenced that decision. But I also believe that while God closed that door, that he will open another door before the members of South Valley and the man that he will bring to our church. So I would ask you to please be in faithful prayer as we work towards closure and finding the man that God has in store for South Valley. So with that, I would like to pass it over to the chairman of the pastoral search team, Thomas Curtis. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Good morning, South Valley family. These were not the announcements that we wanted to make to you. Our hearts bleed for, for South Valley and this church and the church body, our church family. Our hope still lies in God. We serve a great God. We serve the same God two years ago, a year ago, a month ago, as we will tomorrow. Thank you so much for your love and your, and your patience. This is not something that is search committee has done, has done alone. It's been the, the board and, the, and, and you, our church, we've done it collectively. So I ask, please continue to pray for the, for the new pastor that, that God has been grooming this whole time. Our team is going to adjust our armor and we are going to finish what the church has given us the task of doing. And we can only do that together. We have the hope that God will provide and we have been continually faithful every step of the way. All we've asked this whole process is for God's will to be done. And sometimes that will is what we want and sometimes it's not. But we still have that hope and we will be faithful every step of the way. So thank you again, South Valley, so much for trusting us. We ask you to still be a part of this process. We will continue this process until we can present to you who God has prepared for our church. We love you, South Valley. Have a blessed day. Well, hey, welcome to Church South Valley. Uh, I know that that was not some of the news that a lot of us were looking forward to, but listen, I, I want you to know uh, that as your staff, we believe that God is still moving. We believe that God still has big plans for our church, and we're excited to see what God is going to do. And we're excited that, that you're along for this with us, that you're committed to seeing what God is doing. And listen, we're also glad that you're tuning into church this morning uh, because any of what has happened earlier today or later today or anything else, 
any of that that's happened, God has a plan for you to be here. There's a reason that you're here today, and we're excited for that. So hey, if, if you're tuning in live with us right now, would you actually do us a huge favor? Would you leave in the chat right now, whether you're watching on YouTube or Facebook or wherever, would you leave in the chat where you're watching from? Whether that's uh, Lamore or Visalia or Hanford, or, or maybe you're watching out of state, leave that in the chat for us. And uh, we just want to know what kind of impact God is using our church for and how far this reaches on this online platform. And, uh, and we're excited for that. So, hey, my first job, some of you may know, was at Save Mart. And uh, I had a pretty strained relationship with my manager there. Uh, I, I think that there were two parts to that. You know, on, on one side, it kind of felt like the two of us each had a different vision for what my role with the company should look like. Uh, you know, I was a part-time student while working a part-time job, and the manager's obviously looking for committed employees. And so, you know, things, things didn't match up perfectly there, but I think what was maybe more of uh, a little bit of tension between us was the fact that both of us are hardcore introvert, introverts who are incredibly socially awkward. And uh, so, I mean, naturally, I always hated getting called into his office. But beyond that, I actually hated if I felt like there was something I needed to go talk to him about. And, uh, and I actually remember that there was one time that there was an opening for a cashier. I'm, I'm the bagger, right? So I'm just the guy who takes the groceries off the belt, puts them in the bag, the bag in the cart, and takes the cart to the car, puts the groceries in the trunk, right? That was my job. So cashier would be a promotion for me. And so I decided, okay, I need to go talk to my manager to put my name in the running for this cashier position. And so I walked into his office and things could not have been more awkward. I, I mean, his office was upstairs, but I was breathing as if I had just gone up and down the stairs 20 times. And I, I walked in and I'm like, uh, hey man, uh, cool, cool day. Uh, yeah, cashier, um, I could, I, yeah, I could do that. Um, just paperwork, just, I could give me, I fill it out and um, yeah, just, I mean, either way, it's cool. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. Uh, bye. And I mean, maybe it wasn't that awkward, but it was pretty awkward. And, and that was kind of what our relationship was like. And, you know, because I would get so anxious about any encounter that I was going to have with him, there were plenty of times that I should have gone to my manager and spoken with him, and I just didn't. I avoided the situation entirely because I wanted to avoid the tension. And who knows? Maybe I missed out on some greater good because I wanted to avoid that tension. So if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, we're going to be in, in the book of 1 Kings today. Um, if you're going in your Bible trying to follow along with me, don't get confused. There are actually two books named, named Kings. Uh, there's one with the one in the front and one with the two in the front. You want the one with the one in the front. So we're going to be in 1 Kings, and I'm going to give you a little bit of review before we actually get into the story. So if you're not familiar with the story of Elijah, he was an Old Testament prophet of God, and a pretty important one, actually. He was a prophet for Israel during the time that Ahab was king. And see, this is important because some of these kings go, come and go pretty quickly. Like, this is the reason that uh, none of us are here reading through First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, right? Because we read through it and it's like so-and-so was king for X amount of years, who begat so-and-so who was king for X amount of years, who, was, who begat so-and-so who was king for X amount of years, and it just kind of keeps going, and it's like, why am, why am I reading this? But, see, a lot of these kings, they come and go, and we don't know hardly anything about them. But Ahab, Ahab were actually given some pretty in interesting information 
about this guy. See, the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 30, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. That's pretty direct, right? Like, I mean, think for a second. How would you like for the text that has been given to humanity by God, and you're told that in this text there would be one sentence, just one sentence that describes you, your whole life, everything that you were about, everything that you've worked so hard for, one sentence, and you find out, you open up that text, and the one sentence about you says, he was the worst. Just this guy was the worst. That's all you need to know about Ahab is this guy was the worst. And under his rulership, under his rule, Elijah was the prophet. And, and Elijah was a man, a human being just like any of us, who was told to be a representative of God to the people. And, and let's be honest, that's a lot of pressure and not only is that a lot of pressure, but that's a lot of pressure that can lead to a lot of loneliness. I mean, when you're up against something like this, it can really easily feel like you versus the entire nation. And listen, I get this feeling of loneliness because every week when Gilbert gets up and makes fun of the Raiders and, and all of their fans, I feel alone. I feel unseen. Because all of you are watching the wrong sport. Like, do you realize how lonely it is to be a hockey fan in California? Of course not. There's only two of us. I see you, Jordan. So you can imagine the emotional baggage that comes with this unique calling that God has placed on Elijah. But while Elijah is just a regular human being, he's also got a pretty cool story. See, in 1 Kings chapter 18, I mean, there's, there's this scene that it feels like it's straight out of a movie, right? In, in any good movie, you got a good bad guy and a good good guy, and there's tension, and it looks like the bad guy is going to win, but in the last moment, the good guy comes in with a sweeping victory, and there's justice, and you celebrate, and you're throwing your popcorn in the movie theater. Maybe you don't watch movies like me, but that's okay. But, but any good movies like this, and this is like it's straight out of a movie, right? Ahab is the bad guy, and he's the worst. And he's led all of Israel to start serving the false idol, the false god, Baal. And now this is bad news because if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, the first one says, don't do that, right? It says, don't have any other gods besides me. Serve the one true God. And so Elijah, he meets with Ahab and he says, he's like, hey man, okay, I want you to get all of Israel, get everyone and come meet me on Mount Carmel. Bring all of your prophets for any of the different gods that you serve. Bring all those prophets with you to Mount Carmel. And they get there and Elijah has the attention of everyone. They're all there watching and Elijah speaks to them and he says, okay, guys, look, I am the last prophet of the one true God. I'm the last one. But look at how many of you there are. There's hundreds of you. And so here's what we're gonna do, okay? You're gonna build an altar and you're gonna pray to your God to light that altar on fire. And I'll build an altar and I'm gonna do the same with my God. And whoever's altar gets lit first, they win, right? Their God is the true God. Now, if you know the story, then you know that Elijah's a little bit extra. And he's so extra and I love it. Because I would, I would hope that I would be that extra if I were in this story. And he's sitting here mocking the prophets of Baal. He's, he's making jokes at their expense. He's making them look like utter fools. And then he builds his altar. He gets 12 stones and stacks them up. And then he, he gets a, 
a shovel, I guess. I don't know what they dug with in First Kings, but he gets a shovel, digs around the whole tr uh, around the whole altar, and builds this trench. And he calls out to somebody. He's like, "Hey, bring me some water." So he takes the water and he pours it all over his altar and fills up the trench. And he's like, "Okay, now bring me some more water." He pours that, and he just keeps pouring on more and more and more water. Right after he's finished mocking all these guys, he sets this up for himself, and then he gets down on his knees and he prays. And suddenly, there's this tremendous crash that everybody hears. Just an explosion. And everybody would have winced. And when they open their eyes and look for the altar that Elijah had built, it's gone. Like, it's just, it's just straight up gone. It's been burnt to a crisp. The water's gone. The altar's gone. It's all gone. God didn't just light it on fire. He demolished this altar, right? He burned the whole thing down. And talk about a win. Talk about making a statement, right? Like Elijah has absolutely humiliated Baal, the prophets, the country, and most importantly, Ahab. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I can be a pretty competitive person. And I know that, that after a win like this, you get that adrenaline rush, right? And Elijah, he totally got this adrenaline rush. He, he calls out to the country and they wipe out all of the servants of Baal. They just go and they wipe them all out. And, but, but then key in here, okay, because this is where we get to the good part of the story. I want you to notice how Elijah responds to all of this, to this major victory that he's just had. Look at how he responds. In 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. I remember reading this for the first time and thinking, what? Uh, how? Like, Elijah, you just, you just had a major victory. You just proved that your God is the one true God. You just proved that he's on your side. And you're afraid? Look at, look at what he just did. I, I was confused reading this, but, you know, as I get older, I think this makes more and more sense. It's strictly because I don't need it to make much sense. <laughs> this just looks like being a human. This is life. It's messy. And it oftentimes doesn't make sense. Right? I think most of us can relate to that, right? How often does life just not make sense? And I think that this is also an added reality of being a Jesus follower. We are called to pick up our crosses daily. And if you've got your uh, notes with you, we've got some fill in the blanks and here's your first one. Just in case you were wondering, is Seth ever going to get to these fill in the blanks? Here they are. Your first one, the key component of the cross is that it is the collision of victory and suffering. And this is all too real for Elijah because in this moment, he's coming out of a moment of serious victory, but then is immediately faced with a death threat. I mean, talk about an emotional roller coaster, right? And then we keep moving through the story and we see this. In 1 Kings 19, starting in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Man, talk about a temper tantrum, right? And actually, the interesting thing is that's exactly what I've been taught most of my life. Elijah has this emotional high of a victory. And then the moment that anything 
remotely bad could happen. He threw a fit because God wasn't making his life perfect. And this, this actually caused a lot of problems for me growing up as a Christian. Because I, I was certainly taught that God wouldn't make your life perfect. I knew that suffering would be a part of life. But then I was simultaneously taught that my natural human feelings in the midst of suffering were wrong. And if you've been in that trap, you know that it just turns into a vicious cycle. But there's something very real and very human happening here with Elijah. There's something very real and very human happening here. And I actually believe that in response to Ahab's wife Jezebel's death threat to Elijah, Elijah is experiencing an anxiety attack in this moment. And church, I'm so much more familiar with this than I wish that I was. I mean, blood gives me so much anxiety that I just pass out entirely. I've literally never seen The Passion of the Christ. I can't watch it. I've also had times that I had such bad anxiety that my wife has found me sobbing in the floor. And sometimes I didn't even know why. And I can tell you that in that moment, I would give anything, absolutely anything, to make that anxiety go away. And I want to make sure that you clearly understand that you are a human being and your feelings are real and life is messy. And sometimes life and your feelings suck. And I can tell you that in my anxiety, even if my family is present with me, there's There is no time that I have ever felt any more alone than in those moments. Maybe you can relate to that. (laughs) Gosh, I mean, so many of us feel so alone right now. So many of us are experiencing loneliness in ways that we've never known before. And anxiety and loneliness are such close companions, so much so that statistics are showing that people are experiencing anxiety like never before. I want you to know, church, that as one of your pastors, that preaching to an empty room, preaching in my house, it's not what I want. Even as an introvert, I love you, and, and I'm so desperately Missing you and looking forward to the day when we all get to fill the building that we, that we go to on a weekly basis again. But I want you to know that in your loneliness, in your anxiety, I see you. My heart aches for you. I empathize with you. And even in the midst of all of this horrible loneliness and anxiety, I want you to see that there is something beautiful. See, we keep going in the story. And in 1 Kings 19, uh, starting in the second half of verse 5, it says, All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. And he looked around and, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and and then he lay back down. And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. You know what the first thing that I notice here is? God sends a messenger to Elijah, and and sure, he fed him, and he gave him water, and, and that's great and miraculous. But before all of that, he touched him. He touched him. See, isn't that exactly what so many of us are craving right now? Isn't that what we so desperately miss? I see you huggers out there itching for the day when you can come to church and make all of us introverts super uncomfortable with your hugs. I'm kind of looking forward to if if I'm being honest. But this angel now, two times in a row, here's your next blank, two times in a row touches Elijah then begins to take care of him. 
Elijah feels so alone, and the first thing that he's reminded is that he's not actually alone. You know, a, a while back, I was coming into the church office to get some work done, and I got out of my cars, and I'm, I'm sifting through my keys, trying to find the, the one for the church office. And I get the key, I unlock the door, and when I open the door, uh, I notice that all the lights are off. And normally, Teresa's there at her desk, and she greets me, and her desk is empty. And instantly, I'm thinking, this is an introvert's dream, right? Nobody's here. I can go in my office. I can turn my music up. I can take my shoes off. I can pace like a weirdo while I work. And I can do all of my weird, quirky things, and there's nobody here to judge me. And so I'm, I'm you know, running all of this dream through my mind. And I grab the door and go to close it. And as I close the door, from the shadowy depths of the corner behind the door, someone jumps out and screams at me. And all I'm saying is it's a good thing I went to the restroom before I went to work. But, I mean, this moment, all of a sudden, Pastor Ron had laid a trap for me and jumped out from behind the door and scared me. Children's pastors, guys. Like, I mean, I'm, this is how we know he just spends too much time with kids. It is what it is. But see, this was, I, I had spent all this time thinking that I was alone just to find out that Pastor Ron was, was laying this trap to scare me. And so that was a time that I was looking forward to being alone and wasn't actually. But doesn't it often actually seem to happen in reverse? You know, maybe we're not physically alone, but boy, do we feel alone. Seems like right now, no matter what, we just feel alone. And so in our story, after the angel had fed Elijah, he sends him on, a, on his way and Elijah's still on the run from Jezebel, Ahab's wife. And he just heads into the wilderness and he's traveling for 40 days and 40 nights. And he stops. And he stops at a place called Mount Horeb. Now, if you're not familiar with your Old Testament, Mount Horeb is actually pretty cool. It's pretty important. Uh, you may also know it as Mount Sinai. And this is the mountain where Moses was told to take off his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Oh, and the way he was told that was by the voice of God through a burning bush that wasn't being consumed by its flame. And this is the mountain where Moses met with God to receive the Ten Commandments. This was the mountain where uh, the people of Israel complained about not having water and Moses struck the rock and water came out for the people. So what's the significance of this mountain? Well, this is the place where God came to encounter humanity. And now Elijah has come to Mount Horeb. And God's voice calls out to him and tells him to come out of the cave to see his presence. And you may be familiar with this part of the story. There's this powerful wind that comes through. It's literally such a strong wind that it's breaking and tearing these rocks apart and throwing them all over the place. And God's not there. And then there's this massive earthquake that shakes everything. And God's not there. And then this flame consumes everything and, and goes by. And God's still not there. But then God arrives in a still, small voice. And when God encounters Elijah in this moment, he tells him that he's not alone. And Elijah is having another panic attack. He's begging to die. And God steps into that with him. He assures him that his loneliness is a lie and that God himself is present with him and that the people of God are still present with him. And I love this because I see so often that people start with Jesus and then when they go to the Old Testament, they, their understanding of God doesn't seem to make sense. But when you start in the Old Testament and see how God is encountering humanity, Man, does Jesus make so much more sense. 
Just, just a few moments ago, God made himself known by absolutely annihilating an altar in front of Elijah's foes. And yet, Elijah himself, and yet to Elijah himself, God shows up in a whisper. The same way a father would show himself to his crying child. Shh, I'm here, son. I've got you. You're not alone. And of course, we see that the God who meets with humanity in the filth and brokenness of this life is the same God who is Jesus. Jesus could have made himself known to the world through any remarkable means. I mean, take a look at the book of Revelation, right? Jesus can reveal himself in pretty remarkable ways. And yet, it's the Christmas story. It's the little defenseless baby in a dirty manger coming to meet with humanity. And here's what I want you to know, church. Jesus has stepped into our loneliness. One day he will remove it. But right now, instead, he just simply steps into it with you. Jesus is not afraid of your anxiety. Jesus is not taken aback by the crazy things that trauma can, can pull out of you. He simply whispers to you that he's here. He's with us. He understands how bad it hurts, but goodness, does he love you. And he promises that he will never let go of us when it hurts the most. Everything in life may be screaming at you to be completely overwhelmed, but that's where Jesus meets us and says he's with us. He reminds us to pick up our cross and keep going. And as we do, he's with us. See, I know how difficult things are right now, but I want you to know that you're not alone. I pray that you would welcome in the presence of Jesus into your life. Don't allow the tensions of life to keep you from what may be a greater good, from what is the greater good of a life lived with Jesus. And so I pray that you would invite him into your life, that you would invite his presence and that you would welcome his presence into your life, whether you're a believer, a follower of Jesus or not, that you would take this moment to pray that you would welcome in the presence of Jesus in your life. And listen, if you're following in the chat right now, feel free to reach out to our chat hosts and let them know uh, that you would like prayer. Just, just put a hand raise emoji in the chat and our, one of our hosts would love to pray with and for you. We just pray that in this moment, you would know that you're not alone, that Jesus steps into this with us. He knows how bad it hurts because he's here with us. He loves us more than we could ever possibly imagine. And he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God, we are so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful that, that you are not a God who just set everything in motion and is watching it happen, but you are a God who is present. You are a God that no matter what we do, your grace and your mercy is sufficient. God, we thank you that where sin abounds, where, where this world and its brokenness abounds, your grace abounds more. And Jesus, we just ask that as we face this life, that you would give us the courage and the strength to follow you, and that you would be with us every step of the way, that we would feel your presence here with us, that it would encourage us, that we would feel your love, and that that would be the driving force of our lives and of our church as we press forward. Jesus, we love you, and we lay our lives at your feet we submit to you. We give everything to you. Lead us 
and use us. And it's in your perfect name we pray. Amen. Thank you, church. We're praying for you. We're excited to see you again. And we hope you have a wonderful week.